0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Uh, welcome to the New Books Network in Education, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Madan Gilhuli. I'm a public school teacher based on Gadigal land in so-called Sydney, Australia, and I'm your host today. Um, today, we'll be talking to Luande, Yuande, Lewis Forkham, Saren, Saren Stewart, and Charlene Cole, who are the editors of this fantastic text, Uh, Each One Teach One, Parental Involvement and Family Engagement in Jamaica's Education System, published by the University of the West Indies Press in 2022. Welcome, Ywande, Saren and Charlene.
0: Thank you. Um,
1: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, each one teach one aims to discuss the conceptual underpinnings and frameworks for parental involvement and family engagement and examine uh, empirical data on the effects and impacts of um, parental involvement across early childhood, primary and secondary levels of education. Um, so. Before we get stuck into the substance of the book, I'm wondering if um, each of you can take a turn starting us off by telling us a little bit about each of yourselves, uh, your backgrounds, and and how you came to this project.
2: All right, so I can go first. Um, I'm Ye Wande-Lewis Focum, and I'm a lecturer at the School of Education, UEMONA, and my areas of research are in literacy education and language education. And with that, teacher training for teachers who teach at the primary or elementary and high school secondary level um, in terms of English and, of course, literacy. I have also supervised multiple graduate students who have had an interest in parental involvement um, slash family engagement in education education. And that's my link to this book. And I would like to think of my involvement in this book as corridor conversation started with Saron when she was here with us at the School of Education, um, and me going to her asking for um, um, just her thoughts, feedback on. Um, the research that my students were doing. And that's how I remember us starting um, this book project.
3: That's a good memory. So I can absolutely follow up, but an easy segue. So my name is Dr. Saren Stewart. I'm currently an associate professor for higher education in the Department of Ed Leadership at the University of Connecticut, as well as the director for academic affairs for the UConn-Hartford campus. Um, Prior to that, I was a proud senior lecturer um, with both Dr. Cole as well as Dr. Louis Fulcum at the School of Education at the University of West Indies, as well as the Deputy Dean for the Faculty of Humanities and Education. And as rightfully stated, we had offices right next door to each other when I was at the School of Education. I also taught and led a course called Applied Research in Education, in rewriting the curriculum um, for some of the School of Education postgraduate programs. And one of those courses led to some applied, quantitative, qualitative methodologies about current um, issues and practices that were happening throughout the Jamaica educational system. And one of those core problems that would occur every single year with our students in their different um, institutions, School of Education, primary or secondary schools, was the issue of parental involvement um, in particular and how that was looked at. So it was always a core topic area. Unfortunately or fortunately, we often turn to more Westernized frameworks, which we we have been vehemently checking since the 1960s or since independence in Jamaica, looking for more homegrown, more Jamaican-based, culturally responsive forms of theories and theorizing. But to date, we hadn't had anything really um, on parental involvement and family engagement. And so whenever we would collaborate and talk about this, our students would have to look towards, in particular, North America. and, And for Joyce Epstein's work, who is probably the most prolific in this space. And we started to just feel like, you know what, time is time, time is um, We kind of need, we have enough top courses and scholars in the field. We need to be able to make a much more culturally relevant framework for, for our region, for our country, for our students. And the, the book was birthed from our students' work and our students' leadership in this work. We just helped to facilitate the process. And we brought on, of course... Dr. Cole, who is arguably one of the most established scholars um, looking at ed psychology and involving parents and as part of your dissertation, if I remember right,
0: Charlene. Yep. yep. Okay. Thank you very much. So it's it's so nice that we segue nicely into everything here. So I will start by saying, so Charlene Cole, um, Educational Psychology, University of the West Indies, Mona. I started working there in 2017, but before there, I was a classroom teacher, a teacher of the deaf, and, of course, a VP. So from those experiences, I would have seen the issues with parental involvement, and I've seen where the students who did well had parents who were fully involved, parents who were there encouraging them, and, of course, the school facilitated that. And as a result, I realized my interest in research started looking at parenting and aggression, parenting and this with my mentor. And so my master's project looked at parental involvement, a small subset of parental involvement, and I said, I need to get some more depth and breadth in this area. And so it started out looking at parental involvement at the early child level, grade one, and that included at the... Um, special ed needs which include the students who are deaf and students who are blind and so it started there based on experiences based on interaction and of course the discussion i end up teaching applied research with dr stewart and that discussion again about how do we get our students get our, our literature from us our context is so different so we need to be able to share our context and parental involvement and so That's
1: when we all started. Great, thank you all so much. Um, So um, what I'm gonna do is, so this book has three sections, um, which encompasses nine chapters as well as an introduction and the conclusion. Um, so today we're going to go through in a sort of linear fashion, and, and I'm going to ask some questions about some of the core themes that come out in each section. Um, but before we do that, um, I wanted to ask a few kind of broad questions, um, thematic questions that came up. Firstly, when reading the introduction that three that the three of you penned, um, uh. Broadly, can you talk to us about what does studying the relationships between family and school attempt to uncover and therefore contribute to how education is done in the Jamaican context? And um, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about the gap um, in the research that you highlight in the introduction as to why your team decided it was important to address this area. Um, although, Siren, you've, you've touched on it a little bit there as well.
0: Okay, I will start and then others uh, will continue. So as we started this research, we realized more the gaps that existed. So we know about Epstein's model, we know about Uwe Dems and Sanders' model. But is Jamaica parent, you know, we approach parent in the same way as what those models are. And based on our context, it's a bit different. How are Jamaican parents involved? What are the things that they do to be involved? And so it's very important that we choose to look at Jamaican context and how do we explain parental involvement and parental engagement? We want to give our own story, right? And um, to add to that, in terms of the gap in the research,
2: um, there. So, so Saron mentioned it that we have been using our students were using um Epstein's model, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. and them for uh, Hoover Dempsey. Sorry, um. But we also wanted something homegrown and um, which we deal with in the first chapter, kind of theoretical chapter. But going back, there is research in Jamaica on parenting, but that focused broadly on uh, um, parenting and family life and not so much on education. And so you have the work of Heather Ricketts, Patricia Rupp. Anderson, uh, Maureen Vaughn, but uh, none of these really focused on what is happening at the school level in a specific way. And so this research brought that uh, um, education lens to what does parenting or family involvement, family en- engagement look like in the Jamaican classrooms at different levels, which I think is um, and from teacher's perspective, because many of our graduate students were teachers in the field and felt anecdotally, you know, I noticed that my students who do well, their parents, I see them, I speak with them, they're around. Um, but the students who are not doing well, I'm not seeing their parents or their family members. And so I think over the years, the students were curious and um. As as Saren said, we kind of built on that curiosity and helped them to hone, you know, their chapters and to create this this book. So the gap that we're filling is not just um, creating our own model and, and making it Jamaican, but also giving it that education lens from the research that, you know, had already started in the Caribbean, in Jamaica.
1: Okay um thanks so much so can you um explain um just sort of briefly for for those of us who um haven't worked um within the jamaican education system um just explaining sort of the funding model of, of what proportion of students in early, primary, secondary attend private school schools versus state schools or, or what that difference looks like, um, what constitutes a state school in in the Jamaican context.
0: Okay, thanks. Oh, you want me to start? Okay, so I will start, the young when they can come in. So in Jamaica, the state schools are the ones that are government operated. We have more of those at all levels. The primary, the and the secondary. You may we may have a bit more of the this the private ones at the pre-preschool pre, level. So we have some of the schools that are government funded at the preschool level and some private ones. But some of the private ones at the preschool level, there is then the government normally pays a trained teacher at those institutions. Overall, from the primary to the secondary level, we tend to have, well, the, uh, maybe ratio two to two to one, a lot more more um government funded. And when the government about government funded, the government pays salary takes you out the school, everything. So yeah, you can continue. you can add to that. You want know, if you, yeah
2: right. So in the government school run schools, um there is um the government pays um per student. Um, and the there's this what you call this auxiliary fee. so it's not tuition, but it's um like a contribution to the operation of the school. For the private schools, the private schools pay in a sense the full cost of what it would take to educate a child, plus the extracurricular. But I'm going to give you some figures so that you can understand it. These are the ones that I got. Um, I couldn't get any more recent figures, but these are from 2017. But I think it's generally um, applicable to now 2023. But at one point in time, there was a grade for literacy test that was um, administered nationally. And they would give reports, the Ministry of Education and... In one of their reports, they had 232 private schools with 4,371 students who took that exam, that grade for literacy test, compared with 765 public schools, and this is at the primary level or elementary level, with 33,680 students. So as you can see, the bulk of Jamaican students Go to public schools, and um, the the fees are, I mean, are quite high for the private schools. Um, versus, and they're smaller in terms of student teacher ratio, whereas in the public schools, um, the fees much less, or the auxiliary contribution is much less and um but the schools are larger um so you're talking about um schools in the private schools you might have a class of 10 12 15 maybe up to 25 and if it's up to 25 they might have an assistant teacher versus in the private primary elementary school um sorry that was the private elementary school but in the public system you might have one teacher to maybe 35 students um so yes the bulk of our students go to public schools but um so generally generally there is a um you know the private schools those students tend to score better on national exams versus the public schools however not all public schools um are the same there are some who do really well their students um and then some who are not doing as well
0: yeah and just to and you know within well and the not well so within the public schools we have schools different, located in different locations based on the location too it also determines the teachers you attract. And the teachers will go there, may, you may not get the teachers. For example, a school located in a, located in a rural area may not get the staff complement that it requires, which affects um, teaching and learning. A school located in an inner city environment where crime and violence is pretty high, you may not attract the staff that you want. And so it will affect performance on a whole. So as against a prep school, the private school they tend to be in location where things are normally safe there yeah
2: right and then that's at the elementary at the secondary or high school level and you had asked about it there are um traditional and non-traditional schools and i know um has written about it um but uh, the traditional schools tend to perform better um they have a longer history of academic excellence um and sports excellence as well and they have a very strong um especially the the all boys um high school they have a strong um pta strong um old boys association and that pta you know you know they have the resources versus the non-traditional high schools um they are not as well resourced and they tend not to do as well but the government has been over the years been trying to improve the non-traditional um high schools and to get the schools those non-traditional schools to a level where actually the children want to go to those schools because what happens is is that um because the trad- traditional high schools do well academically they attract the um stronger teachers um, and of course, these these are generalizations, but they attract, but it's, it's a general trend. They attract stronger teachers. They do well academically, sports-wise. We have these exit exams at the elementary level at grade six. Um, and many children want to go to these um, traditional schools. And of course, it becomes very competitive. You have to get um, ninety-seven percent, 98, 99, almost hundred. You know, to go to a non-traditional um school, and um then what you have is the reverse happening where those students who don't do so well on the exams, um, when have pep we call it primary exit profile, um, so they might be scoring below fifty percent. They tend to go to some of the non-traditional high schools. And of course, you know, if you have a school that has predominantly students who are getting fifty and below, you can see the challenges with that versus schools and high school traditional as getting students with, you know, ninety and above <laughs> average on their tests. So that's part of the 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 challenge that we have um, in the Jamaican education system. But I'm going to wrap up by saying. Um, that is not to say that you have non-traditional schools who, who, um, aren't doing well. There are some who are doing really well and changing their their profile.
1: Great, thanks so much for that and giving us um some strong foundations for understanding where the conversation is going to take us. Um, what I might do now is we might start to talk a little bit about section one, and I was hoping that you'd first talk a little bit more about um, the sec- section one's overarching attempt to extend global frameworks to create a more Caribbeanized model that better reflects the family structures and challenges and strengths of families and communities that are supporting students um, in Jamaica. Um, do you wanna talk a little bit more about um, the framework that you're attempting to, to build
2: Um, sure, I'll, I'll go. Um, so there are two things, two big concepts that we, um, toyed with, struggled through. Um, and this is based largely on the work of, um, Keon Morgan, with whom I wrote, um, that first chapter, um, building that theoretical framework. And it's really coming out of, um, Dr. Morgan's, um doctoral studies where she looks at um family engagement but from a US perspective her experience in the US and but she has a Jamaican background and so she and I collaborated on that chapter and um used this model um this uh, um family engagement um framework um to 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 look at how is it that we can do two things one is um, looking at how do you shift the narrative from looking at only parents parental involvement to family considering that in the caribbean many children most children are not only taken care of or cared for by their parent, a parent, but maybe a grandparent, a grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, older, sibling. So we wanted to honor that, to move from the whole idea of a nuclear family to a broader um, expanded, extended family setting. And then the second thing is involvement. We wanted to um... <sighs> move away from involvement, which for her, was more programmatic. So here are these programs, and if you attend them, you're a good parent, and broaden that term to involve engagement, which is, that looks at um, both how it is that family members support their children, what are the internal to the home and the school and the external, the home and the school, um, those factors that can influence that family support and honoring the ways in which different types of families support um, their children in terms of their academics. Um, So um, looking at different values that people might have and trying to, to honor that. So w- one more thing I wanted to say though, about um, the framework, which is one of the things that um, grabbed my attention is her focus on post-secondary and workforce readiness. That uh, when she first introduced it to me, I was like, whoa, when I, you know, in thinking about my own career, you always hear, you heard of parental involvement and it kind of stopped at high school. <laughs> and this framework goes beyond and says, as human beings, we are lifelong learners. So your involvement, your engagement with your child is not just at the end of the high school graduation, but goes beyond to undergrad graduates, even because as she, you know, I was having a discussion with her. And um, Dr. Morgan pointed out that, you know, in the Jamaican setting, because of the economy, um people don't readily leave the home. So they are at, you know, the family home for an extended period, and they still do um, value that type of support that the different older family members give them. And then the workforce readiness is so key and and, and appropriate timely now, because our government is focusing on certain goals for 2030, you know, that we want to achieve as a nation. And um, a big part of that is workforce readiness. So how can you make a link between school and work and make it clear to to, to the students, to children? Um. So I think those are features that I really appreciated, others too, but that I really appreciated about um, um this model
1: yeah fantastic
0: thing looking back at the frameworks we are looking at for example in our Jamaican context looking at just how the home and the school relate with each other so for example non-traditionalized schools what are the things that parents need to do to be more engaged what are the things that the schools need to do to get the parents more engaged and as um the mentioned earlier about the differences at this party between what happens at the upgraded high school compared to the traditional high school. So the authors there spoke to the things that parents do to get their children to be successful. A big part of this would be communication. How is it that we communicate with some of the parents and we're looking at the the reality of some Jamaican parents, especially those who children may end up, not all of them may go to an upgraded high school. And some of the issues are they work every day. They don't have a standard job where they have a nine to five where they can some of some of them would, may, would have had jobs. So how do we communicate with them? So they're finding ingenious ways to communicate with their parents so they can be involved. So what can we do within the school to be able to engage our parents for them to be involved? And they mentioned a few things and I've noticed, I think, across as us as, as academic staff, we are using WhatsApp. And that was a part of this model where the best way to get your appearance is through that. And I'll just leave the rest for Saran to add. Thanks.
4: <laughs> I jumped in a little bit late. So i will be editing to this part of the audio. Just remind me which question on is on,
1: please. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking about um section one and we're just doing a bit of an overview about um um, you know, talking about a uh, more Caribbeanized model that better reflects the family structures and challenges and strengths of families in Jamaica. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, I think that the the need, and I, I don't want to duplicate anything that was just said because I was, you know, trying to make sure I wasn't missing another exit um, while driving, is that... Um, the familial structure within Jamaica is a precarious one. You will have the phenomena of, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Madden, but um, of the barrel children, mm-hmm. which is uh, very culturally relevant in today's world um, within our context for how the significant migration, brain drain, um, cetera. Mm-hmm for upward social mobility has caused where there are generations of children that were raised by a barrel. And the the impetus on that is being said that those children are either raised by other guardians, other people in the community, um, other older siblings, um, relatives, etc. So expanding this framework from where we received it from the North American context to make it culturally relevant is to encompass and engage all the ways the definition of family is expansive in our context, right? And what um, family means. Family used to mean, um, in particular, that the community raises a child, given the various volatilities that our countries have been exposed to, mostly due to socioeconomic strife, corruption, violence, etc., cetera, climates, uh, we have seen where there is a shift from the community raising a child, and um, but we still have the legacy of the barrel-raised children. And so the noting what exactly family is within our context was really important, being able to expand that definition beyond just the nebulous um, parents in a household to be much more that this is more guardian-led Um was really important. And then of course the use of language within these frameworks were very important. Um, From a quantitative side of things, we really had to look at how some of these constructs were not valid within our context for how these were written. And so we had to retest and pilot these constructs. And then when we looked at it again, we really had to think through uh, when we are communicating across our context, what kind of language are we using, right? So that we're not becoming exclusionary, but really inclusive. And this is something that I always default to Dr. Lewis Focum on, and her work or with, in particular, the Jamaican Language Unit and really prefacing... Um, how we need to recognize the utility of language as we develop and incorporate and adapt culturally relevant frameworks to our context.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And I I think that probably one of my favorite parts about the book was... um, this really interesting, you know, this reframing of family engagement as a more grounded in communal structures and the dialectical relationship that's kind of highlighted there through this idea of, um, you know, cradle to, you know, uh, grave, you know, thinking about education all the way through, right, there's a relationship that's happening that's, um, I did think I was wondering if whether or not that was maybe indirectly, um, talking to, um, this concept of brain drain and how, um, you know, being in Jamaica, that's a conversation, particularly around education that is happening all the time. Um, so thinking about expanding that and how we're engaging, you know, as teachers, um, you know, with wider communities and not just a particular person, um, um, I think is a really invaluable thing and something that we could do well to, um, be reflecting in um more westernized um you know structures of 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 pedagogy and how we're thinking about that so I really that was one of my favorite contributions of the text so thank you so much for that um I wanted to ask about so in the third paper in section one um it looks at um Jamaican student success in mathematics education in which um, the authors of that chapter uh, propose a family involvement uh, framework based on Epstein's work, um, but model it specifically on the Jamaican context. And um, math education is an area of interest in in most parts of the world. Um, um, but what can we learn about um, the importance of adapting frameworks to better fit the local context? And what I really want to pick up on is something that you just highlighted, Saren, and, um, and that's um, around language um, when attempting to bring families into the fold of school community, um, you know, because, for instance, the authors discuss the positive impact of using Jamaican Creole or Patois for uh, their framework and how important that is for bringing family family into the fold. So do you want to talk on that?
4: Yeah, I'll start and then I'll default to my expert. S- seriously, I call her from here often to help me with these different papers I'll write that want the proper spelling for or Jamaican Creole. I think that work is not lost on me. And I'm always humbled by Dr. Louis Folkham. She knows this, uh, I pray, you know, so I'll definitely make her add to this. I'll start us off by saying that when I think within that chapter, but more largely making sure that we were re-looking at the framework. So it was one thing for our students They would get all of these items and then they were asked to pilot them, right? And then the assumption is that our communities speak standard academic English. I always tell people academic English is a different type of English. And we were essentially engaging communities where academic English is not the first language. In fact, you know, Dr. Folkham Lewis will definitely tell you, it's not the first language in most of our schools and in majority of our Jamaican households. But yet we were giving them this pilot that's written in academic English to then pretend that they assume. So half of the time I knew when I was running the pilot with our students, they were like, boy doc, I don't know how to do this because half of them don't understand. I said, well, Met them understand communicate even though they have the items to complete communicate translate it for them do not assume that the persons who are f- completing these surveys understand how to read this how we are intending them to read because language is finicky in that way right so one of the first things that they were doing were these qualitative observations of how quantitatively they had to translate how um, their participants were even understanding each question. And so what was clicking for them was much more than a quantitative pilot. It was almost this re-rendering of these six elements of parental involvement. And they had to figure out, for example, yard instead of community. And then they had to really say, and then for us as the lecturers, we had to empower our students to recognize that this is valid, this is research or language matters. Who we are and how we disseminate research is ethical practices. We should not be giving them academic English and then make them fill out because them think them understand. It is your responsibility to translate each item. So that was really a great teaching moment. And I think what it allowed them to do, what well, we asked them to really think through and process as they were helping us to co-author these chapters was the lessons learned not what we prescriptively taught you to do what were the lessons learned when you were in the field collecting the data what did you have to do think about that and how was the language have to be turned and they said they never had to think about it in that way they just talk regular how they communicate with their students and how they communicate with their parents and their guardians. So we actually said to them, no, you need to pay attention to that. You need to take back those memos, notes, and that is your data. That along with all of your beautiful statistics and analysis and codes, that's your data. And I think from there, you've seen some of the chapters, these reconfigurations of parents involvement in our own terms and how we were navigating those, you know, ancestral standard colonial tensions (laughs) with doing this. But I'll let uh, Yowande continue because she's really great at um, translating this work a lot better too.
2: All right. So, um, yeah, I endorse what Sam said and... um... It's interesting that you picked um, Madden this chapter because I don't know if editors are are not supposed to have favorite chapters. But this was um one of um yeah, one of my favorite chapters because um math is such a love-hate subject for so many, not only in Jamaica, just internationally. And yet, you know, language is what we is is the, we use language the language that we speak to communicate that math in the classroom and in Jamaica as as San said we have these two languages Jamaican Creole which is the heart language of many Jamaicans you know as well as English but it's not necessarily the heart English Jamaican English is not necessarily the heart language and what is so beautiful about this, the two things that are really beautiful about this chapter is one, they're looking at math, not the angle of the the, the numbers that you know, but if you check the, the, um, the, not the title, but the subtitle, changing mindsets, conversations and perceptions, because a lot of math is about the mindset you know. and the conversations, how do we speak about it? And I loved how in this chapter they used uh, Epstein's model and and in a sense, which goes to our model, looking at internal and external factors. So guess what? One of the things using the, the mother tongue is talk to the teacher. Have a conversation with the teacher about math. And by using talk to the teacher, the parent instinctively would understand exactly what that means, you know. Um, and so, the use of um, the home language in helping to change the mindset of the parents and therefore the children in math is is critical. So it's it goes to um, the social and emotional element of learning, which is which is key. Um, in learning math and other subjects as well, so you know the other category was help the picnic in the yard, you know. So support the child at home, and then the whole idea, bringing in what Sh- Charlene said, the WhatsApping, there were WhatsApping different messages to help support the social and emotional learning of math. So yeah, this one was really um, a, a powerful chapter.
0: And just to just add, not long is the importance of the parent appreciating school because the teacher understands me. Math is a mentioned, is a love-hate subject. But if I can tell my parents how to approach it, how to work with my child, it's easier for the teacher and for the students. So once we understand the context of our parents, we are able to work with them. But if we separate ourselves from their reality, it's going to be a challenge, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Very true.
4: I think the only thing I'll add is that I don't know if it's been named, and you might know this, Madam. We are a proud culture. We're proud to our fault, to be honest with you. And if you can't, a parent not going to tell you that they don't understand, you know, they, <laughs> they're they going to be like, you know, to ask somebody else. So if, I, if a teacher is able to really communicate at the level of the parent, right, it be, or the guardian, it's, such, it's a much more powerful exchange and a support mechanism for that student's well-being overall. But it is to the point where to understand the humility because a parent oftentimes will not ask for help, right? Um, very, very, very proud um, people. And as a result of that, the teachers within this text really understood that call and was able to really bridge how exactly should this be done. And language helps to bridge that relationship. It is an access pipeline way rather than a barrier. And that's really important, I think, with any subject matter, but in particular mathematics.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for that really rich analysis um, for you all jumping in on that. it was one of my favorite chapters, too. Um, <laughs> um, and I think that that is because as well, um, there is a <clears throat> very specific um, uh, particularity to, to what you're speaking about. And there's also a universality um, to that as well, um, you know, uh, across uh, different lands, um, you know, there there are different communities that we're working with that we need to consider how important language is, as you're saying, as an access point. Um, language is also how we reproduce culture and uh, social infrastructures, right? So when we uh, use language to um, bring people in um, rather than push people out um, and to normalise the use of the language that our communities use, I think is really important for ensuring that our school is a community, is is truly a community school. Um, I want to jump into section two and ask about um, relationships firstly. Um, So the building of reciprocal relationships between school staff, particularly teachers, with parents and, and and family is crucial for any academic achievement of, of students, um, as this body of research tells us. However, the teacher and family relationships are particularly crucial for supporting the needs of students with disability. Um, and I'm interested in hearing about what your research can tell us about supporting students with disability in Jamaica by supporting their parents, uh, families and communities. Um, maybe particularly interested in hearing about uh, you know the use of IEPs uh, or education uh, individual education plans in the Jamaican context.
0: Okay, so in Jamaica, for one, we have generally limited research on special education. That's the first thing. So we tend not to focus much on special. And families who have students with special needs, they have they require more attention. They require more assistance than the student to attend regular school. And so the collaboration between the different stakeholders, the parent, the, the school leaders, the teachers, those are critical for those children's success. And if we can reach the parents, because most times based on, I've been working with special ed for a while, most times the parents themselves, they don't have the knowledge And sometimes some of them don't even know how to get that knowledge. And if no one provides that knowledge, they are going to be there, don't know what to do. So they need to have advocates for them. Now, as we think about special needs and parents, it's important to empower them because if we don't, it's difficult to help because that empowerment is very, very important, getting them involved. And the IEP is one method, one effective way of getting that done. So with the IEP, the parents are a part of that process. The parents know exactly what are the challenges my child has or my children have, or am I going to meet those needs with the help of the teacher and the school? So when that meeting is held, when that child is assessed, depending on the needs of those children, when that meeting is, is held, they discuss exactly what is it that I want for my child? What is that the school sees the problem with your child? And based on that, that IP is developed. And when the parent is involved in the process, the parent knows exactly what to do when the parent goes home. And so that collaboration between the school and the teacher, the interaction, so you get more, what's the word? um Connection between the school and the home, and so the child is more likely to develop and grow when that involvement is in place.
1: Great, thank you so much. So we we know from large bodies of research that parental support and involvement in early development, those first sort of five years, makes a huge difference. Not only in the attachment and socio-emotional development, but also makes a different in, <clears throat> makes a difference in academic success. Um, and and that. Um, Gaps in achievement can persist into students' primary years as well. So um, what was really interesting was the recommendations that came out of your research in um, Chapter 6 for schools to support parents of primary school students as they transition between grades um, to provide parents with learning opportunities to feel uh, empowered by by being provided with practical approaches of how, how to support their child um, at each developmental stage. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about um, how you came to that particular recommendation? Okay, so
0: I will begin and then others will well join. So within our Jamaican system, our curriculum is a spiral curriculum. So they start at grade one, they keep adding and adding. So, so they, at the end of the day, would have mastered all the skills. So what happens in our system, a parent may, at grade one, may be very involved because they are afraid of what is happening at grade one. They can help and they can do everything with their child, they can volunteer and they're able to help them at home. But as the children move to other classes, move to a higher grade, the parents sometimes don't know to help because they don't they don't have the knowledge level so let's say grade three grade four where the maths the mathematics are the language that becomes more complicated for the parent and so they may not be as involved as they should or they want to be so what schools can do so that recommendation is providing for example training for parents to empower them so you build that sense of confidence in them for them to be able to help their children so Instead of, homework, instead of shine away from helping with the math homework so of shine away from other com- other subjects as they as they transition to the different to the other grades schools provide support for the parents so they' are able, able to help them at the different level where they transition
2: right so this this is where workshops certainly can help um having workshops for parents to help them to understand exactly what is going on um, because just changing hats as a parent, sometimes um, you know, concepts are taught which were taught differently from how you knew it when you went to school. And um it it really is helpful um to diffuse that um sometimes um argument between you and your child as you are helping them with their homework, it can help to diffuse that, um, you know, dispute out. and empower the parent as well so that the parent knows how, you know, best to support. You're not going to do the homework, but at least you have an you have a sense of what's going on and can point them in in the right direction um, or get help um, because of those workshops. So it's more information workshops that are very helpful, I find.
0: Yes, and before, Sarah would come in if she's coming in. So we think about the de- developmental level of each child. So as they get older, they develop, more, they develop more autonomy. And with the more autonomy that they develop, something they don't want the parents to help, as what um, Yohandi said. And the other thing is they say, teacher knows best. So they, they don't want the parent involvement at that point. But the parent still need to realize that, yes, the teacher knows best, but I have to support my child. Depend doesn't matter the the level of autonomy autonomy the child may have is what do I do or do I facilitate that growth that development that that child needs the the training the training activities at schools benefit a lot I remember one of my interviews I did the principal said she has community classes with her te- with her teachers and one of them end up attending high, um teacher's college after that because of the training for her to help her child
1: that's a great story um thank you for sharing that Annika. um I I did find this this part of the chapter really interesting you know the idea of running workshops as another opportunity to reach out and build um collaborative relationships with parents um and community members I think is a really um uh could be um quite helpful um you know, even at high school, you know, I teach high school. So I think that would be a really beneficial thing. I think a lot of parents, particularly with high school, um, they have their own relationships um, with school. And some of those relationships, as we know, um, memory is based in emotion. And so lots of parents have a, a relationship with school that might not be positive. So their interactions with school, um, and with the institution of education and not always positive so creating things um you know creating collaborative moments um, like these kinds of workshops where um you know knowledge is kind of shared um and I'm sure that it would be a great way for for teachers to also build their knowledge around community and and build stronger relationships with parents which makes um rapport building with students so much um, easier, especially when they're being cheeky. Um, So um, did you want to jump on to that question? Okay. Um, So I wanted to ask about um, in section three, the chapter chapter eight, um, which looks at parental involvement in rural high schools in Jamaica. um, I I uh, wasn't able to go into um, the school itself, but um, uh, I was um, in Jamaica earlier this year and um, visited Frankfield um, and um, uh, learned a little bit about the Edward Allen School out there and their really terrific um, education, um, as well as their very terrific um, uh, track team, um, which is obviously, you know, equally as important. Um And can you talk to us a little bit about um, some of the specific considerations that relate to supporting parents whose children attend rural schools as opposed to urban schools?
4: Yeah, I can start us off. So this one was um, led by uh, one of our... Um, former students who was a principal at the time um, of the school, which I think is very um, a unique perspective from being a teacher versus a principal, was a former teacher, of course, for a number of years, and has really devoted her work to educational leadership now in the most recent iterations. And the emphasis about this work was actually the project that she took on for her entire school, right? Recognizing that the polarizing economic gaps that are between um, urban parents and guardians versus um, rural parents and guardians is strife. And what that really signals, for example, was like one of the parents is one of the vendors outside of the school selling um, you know, various snacks and products and things like that, right? Um And so one of the key determinants in their findings, which I thought was really interesting, which is really now, this was pre-COVID, so we can talk about also post-COVID effects and how difficult that has been, right? Was where work, the capacity for a parent to get involved based on one of the biggest barriers was the the work um, working hours, right? And what that meant for that being one of the very strong barriers, to, significant barriers to parental involvement, which I think is similar but exacerbated in the rural context, given the type of seasonal work that often happens, which is farming, um, you know, agriculture overall. And then just precarious, right? So they have high peak seasons that they must be available. And there is that's the difference between food on the table for months versus food on the table, no food on the table for months as well. So there is a clear distinction. And as a result, you recognize that there is a divide in that respect. And so I think for our lead author in this chapter, it was very clear that they had to really figure out an alternative mechanism to engage parents and try to reach them on their level, which was to have small events, like practical events with food, for example, available, right? How they use community centers to transmit knowledge because not everybody had a phone. So even communication is a real significant barrier. So not everyone has access to a reliable device, or WhatsApp, but they would use community-based centers to disseminate core information. So they would print documents, right? Print information, print letters, and then they would bring them um, to those community centers for parents to pick up and stuff like that. So that was one of the core areas that I thought that was differential. We're going to be interrupted for a minute because I have a young child walking in. So I'm going to pass it over to one of my co-editors.
2: Right. So what was... Also interesting in this study is that, um, one, it's in a rural school, and oftentimes our research is focused on schools within the city, especially Kingston and St. Andrew. So this was different and refreshing. Um, The second thing is that, whereas the parents felt satisfied about their level of involvement, they were not so satisfied with the school's level of involvement. Which uh, goes and and goes to show how sometimes you as the parent, you as the school, you can be thinking, yes, I'm do- i we have P- regular PTAs, we do this, do that, but that's not addressing the needs of the parent. So, um, this was very insightful, I'm sure, to the principal, and hopefully to others who read this this chapter, that sometimes we have to reflect and 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 even carry out even informal surveys to see are we meeting your needs you know uh, which goes back to the movement from involvement to engagement because that engagement is more collaborative so asking am i am i really meeting your needs you know do you need some other um you know do we need to relate to each other's school and the parent or family in a different way and how can we facilitate that?
4: And during something important to note is one of the significant variables was going to be um, work at home, the students working. So what's not really stated explicitly, which was re- going back to your question, if this particular school is situated in one of our agricultural parishes in particular that relies heavily on farming. Uh, more than fisheries, but really farming. And as a result, everyone in the family is required to work the farm during the high peak seasons for picking, planting, et cetera. And so what that also led to was that they are absolutely learning very critical agricultural skills, but it was taken away. So it's a different form of learning at home, which was one of those pieces where um, The the parents are highly involved in the home, but you also find that students were working outside of school in order to help provide for the home as well. So it took away from overall schooling, which isn't properly captured, but is one of those unique differences between urban versus rural life and depending on the type of parish and agricultural needs um, that you will find that students would have to take off time in order to, you know, um, help, their, help their families
0: in that period. Yeah. And just to add, I'm just going back to this chapter. I'm just thinking of how our, our curriculum is designed in Jamaica. So we design a curriculum for everybody, but then sometimes we fail to see the differences that may exist in the different um, communities, different parishes. And so this is what we are required to do. But then the the the, the reality within our environment is different. And so as educators, it, because it was kind of, wow, I didn't know this existed. We have to you know, make adjustments to how we approach teaching and learning for our students. Because as I said, the, the parents were insatisfied with all the teachers. So a parent from a rural community expect more or maybe something else from a teacher because what happened because of where they are the the connection they have as against an urban parent who may have everything readily available so the context is so different so we have to know know to under how to work with this group and how to really get the parents more in, involved and engaged
1: yeah thank you all so much so I want to ask about um, some of the key lines of inquiry that you know, putting this text together has left um you with um and and what you think should be front and center of the research agenda as it relates to better serving the Jamaican education system and learning in Jamaica.
4: I can start us off and then pass it on to my co-editors. So this book was written before COVID, and I think that's important to name because I do believe strongly that a lot of the practices and the outcomes of the text came to fruition heavily during COVID. When in Jamaica, um, uh, Madden or region, including Latin America and the Caribbean, according to UNESCO was disproportionately affected by the magnitude of the number of month closures. We had one of the highest in the world you're talking um the I think it was over 24 months of closures so closures and isolation. and what we found in the immediate sense this is pre-vaccine is that or teachers or schools being under mandated closures had to figure out how to communicate with the parents, which which as we're seeing, Right after COVID, or I say right after there was a lingering legacy of it, it has been and remains very difficult to account for every child back in a seat. Um, And for us in our country, if you look back at like millennium development goals and some of the mandates for universal primary education, we achieved that. By 2000, we had achieved it. We were hitting all our markers for the MDG. We were on target for the SDG sustainable development goals. COVID hit and for a while we have been and were unable to account for over 40,000 of our students in schools and what you're seeing is that we lagged pre-millennium development goal numbers just to figure out are we even achieving universal primary access to education where we can account for every child. And of course, if you look to the rural schools accounting, that's much more disproportionate. So I think the ways in which this book becomes even an impetus was something that we couldn't even foresee, which was during a catastrophic pandemic where more than ever, the parents became the teachers, the principals, the caregivers without the capacity to necessarily do so. And We are still reeling from that. There is, of course, very well known now the lost learning effects. And I think we have spoken a lot about in hindsight what we would have done, right, if we knew. And some of the recommendations absolutely have become that how can what we learned as some of the outcomes from these chapters mitigate against lost learning to help our parents, to help our students, recognize still the value of the education and how they are instrumental in bridging these years of lost learning not just the academic learning we're talking the social emotional development learning how a child (laughs) greets you how a child reacts to social problems and unfortunately we were one of the hardest hit countries with the least resources so it's that is um That is something that I know has been getting a lot of momentum, as you heard, with our 2030 um, kind of agenda and trying to figure out what exactly needs to happen in the interim. And then the last thing I'll mention is... we do have a couple of chapters on early childhood, but there there needs to be a zoned-in effect. The amount of data that we know now in the Western world, especially around Western research, with regards to the effects of the birth through eight or pre-birth to eight, we are nowhere close to where we need to be. And we do have Dr. Zoya Kinke who is one of our very profound um, early childhood researchers, um, researchers in the region, period, and her work has been longstanding in providing the strong impetus that where most of our funding needs to go is to early childhood. We have missed significant critical um, areas in our children's development by the stratification of our basic schools versus early childhood versus, you know, just the various levels of lack of regulatory Approaches um, to and the valuing of early childhood has really affected us significantly within our education system. So,
0: so just to continue, so Saron spoke to early childhood, the importance of ensuring that we are they are fully prepared for school. I am going to be looking at you now as the whole aspect. What COVID did was showing the differences in attainment for students who are special needs. So a student who normally requires that interaction at school doesn't have that anymore. The parent at home doesn't know the language. For example, a child who is deaf, the parent doesn't know the sign language. So there's an issue with communication. So learning loss, significant learning loss. A child who is is visually impaired, yes, the child may may be able to speak. But the child needs to read using Braille. No one knows. No one knows how to help. So we have the different disabilities within the different persons with disabilities in the home. The parents, I've met parents who said, Miss, I don't know what else to do. I am stressed. And that 24 months of no school, basically there being the parent, it was challenging for some parents who have children with disabilities. And so, yes, we have the Disability Act being passed, finally. But are we having the infrastructure? So we have we have an inclusive education system in Jamaica. However, the ones who are severely affected, they don't don't get that opportunity to really explore and all of that. And no, the parents have to deal with all of that, plus their own life experiences. So they were under stress themselves, plus the stress of the the child with a disability, plus other stress. So it was challenging for parents to cope during this time. It was challenging before COVID, and no, after COVID, nor during COVID, so they are now just recovering, and now we're realizing that we need to do further intervention, working with parents in dealing with children with special needs.
2: And I would like to add two things. Um, one, um, I think honoring the voices of our parents is important. Um, that's where engagement and collaboration come. You know that comes in. Um. In a number of the chapters, you know, it 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 you know we demonstrate that um schools have to rethink <laughs> how is it that they conceptualize and put into practice um involving their parents and shift from that a programmatic approach to engaging them and really engaging the voices of working class parents. Um that in in that that's key, because those parents are often disenfranchised. That's one, and then two, I think going forward, when I you know reviewed the book, I realized, um, you know, looking at it again over time, I realized, whoa, you know what's missing, the family literacy. <laughs> chapter and that's so where I'd, I'd like to go in terms of um further research in this area looking at family family literacy practices especially given the two languages of jamaican Creole and jamaican english
1: great and and this might be a, a great segue you day to just dive straight into telling our audiences about what you're currently working on next and then maybe we can um the others can follow,
2: okay. So what I'm currently working on is um looking at um grade one teachers and their ideas of what literacy should look like at that stage. It's part of that whole um research into transition, transition from that infant basic school into grade one. What does a child need to know how to do? both socially and academically in order to be successful. So that's one area of research. Um, and then also um, with a group of researchers, um, both in Jamaica and Trinidad, we're looking at um, technology enhanced literacy practices. So looking at apps and seeing how we can use that to better improve um the literacy of our children. Um, so I have about,
4: the two big strands that I'm currently doing right now are all focused on um global and comparative education work. So I have one study in which I'm the principal investigator on um, in seven different countries focusing on black women academics, um experiences at the intersections of their race, gender, and the state of coloniality between. The former Caribbean colonies of so five countries throughout the Caribbean, and then two of the former two of the colonial empires, essentially, and so that's one massive uh, piece of work. I'm really happy I finished with the data collection, so I'm analyzing that now. And then the other piece of work that I'm really excited about is um, the evolving research that I've been doing on decolonizing qualitative approaches for and by the Caribbean um and that has been taken off and so really excited about that work as well
0: okay so i am looking at so the first project a few The, the one that stands out right now we're looking at developing social emotional skills so we're doing a project on social emotional learning within the primary school system we're working with teachers so we started we are we are now at phase three so we did phase one where we collected quantitative data from the teachers to see is social-emotional learning um, strategies um, embedded in your curriculum? So we find out that first. Then we met the teachers, interviewed them to find out if so, how is it done? And from that, we are planning a project now to implement, to develop those skills within the school system, so working with teachers. So that is one. I'm also working on a paper well, project that looks at parental involvement, interestingly and comparing it between urban and rural school, what differences exist, is it, what are the median factors there for parents parent to be involved at rural and urban school, and so And Of course, I'm always working on eras with aggression and violence, yeah.
1: Great, so much exciting work to look forward to, um, and if any of your work um, is published in um, a new academic press, please send us an email so that we can have conversations about Um, uh, any of the work that you're working on it all sounds really exciting Um, so thank you so much for coming on to talk with me today Um, we've been talking about each one teach one parental involvement and family engagement in Jamaica's education system published by the University of the West Indies Press in 2022 Um, it's available online from bookshop.org as well as the University of West Indies Press and other sellers I've been your host, Madan Gilhuli, and this has uh, been the New Books Network in Education. Um, and we hope to see you uh, again soon.